0: Yeah. How many of you have done Sockham? Okay, a lot of people. How many have gone through Sockham 2? Okay, so all of you who have done Sockham, Sockham 2 is uh, your next step. Luke Hazelmeyer and I are going to be the primary teachers. Uh, We've revised it each year. Last year it was better than the first year. This year it's going to be really, really good and powerful. It's been really good all along, but we're really upgrading it. And uh, so if you've been through SOCAM, grab a SOCM 2 application back there and uh, sign up for it. And if you haven't done SOCM 1, then choose between Alpha and SOCM 1, okay? All right. Um, y- you know, we're all aware of... What happened in Texas with Hurricane Harvey uh, recently, and the devastation that was left behind there and and we 're all probably aware that Irma is bearing down apparently right now on Florida. It looks like it 's going to hit Florida and just be a catastrophic um, level storm. but uh, you know as, as you think about things like this, we need to think of them from a kingdom of God perspective, and this is one of the things you learn in Sokkum is the difference between uh, just a human worldview and a kingdom worldview. And in a human worldview, uh, the weather's gonna control everything, where the high-pressure systems and the low-pressure systems are gonna happen. Uh, that's where Irma's gonna go, and nothing can change that. From a kingdom point of view, we look at Jesus calming the storm, and we say, oh, wait a second. There's a power greater than that of nature. And so we, you know, Jesus, when he, when he calmed that storm... What he said to the storm was, be quiet. That, that's literally, he said, be muzzled. And what that meant was, be quiet. And and the waters calmed and the storm ended. Now, in another place, Jesus told us that if if we have faith like a mustard seed, that means just tiny, tiny faith, we can speak to a mountain, just like he spoke to those waves, we can speak to a mountain and tell it to be picked up and cast into the sea and he said, it's going to obey us. And so what Jesus was doing there was releasing authority to us as believers and as his church body to speak with his authority and to say two things, to say to obstacles in life, to say to mountains, to speak to hurricanes and, and command them what to do. And so you might think I'm crazy. And if, and if you do, I'm okay with that. All right. Just play along with it. I'm not really crazy, but... Um, What we're going to do right now is we're going to stand, we're going to pray first, and then we are going to command Irma to be quiet, just like Jesus did, okay? So would you stand up, reach out, take a hand of somebody around you? So Father God, thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you. Open our minds Enable us to see more clearly your kingdom. Any fog that's in our thinking or or in, in the range of our eyesight, just push away, blow away right now so we can see your kingdom clearly. And we can see the authority you have released on this earth through your people. Father God, we thank you for your love for all of these people in Florida. You have an intense love for every one of them. And so we join our hearts together right now, and we ask in Jesus' name, preserve life. We pray that there would be no one lost, no, not one life lost through this storm, and we, we ask you to preserve homes, because home is such an important thing, and throughout your word, home is so, preserve people's homes, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, uh, before you sit down... Uh, this is south right here. So everyone turn and face that direction. All right. Now remember, Jesus said if you speak to the mountain, and so we're speaking to Irma right now. We're saying to Irma, the hurricane, and we're gonna, I'm going to count to three after I tell you exactly what we're going to say. We're going to say, Irma, be quiet. Okay? We're going to say that. We're going to say that three times and just shout it out. All right? So I'm going to count to three, and then it's going to be, Irma, be quiet. Ready? One, two, three. Irma, be quiet. Irma, be quiet. Irma, be quiet. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Awesome. Now, when that drops from a level three to a level two or one, we're not going to be surprised, are we? Okay, so uh, I'm going to tell you a joke today, okay, to start, and uh, this is a joke that I told at Alpha last Wednesday. Uh, the Alpha introduction dinner, introductory dinner was last Wednesday. Alpha actually starts this week, and by the way, I'm going to be the MC for Alpha, so I'll be telling a joke there every week, so that might be enough for some of you to come, so Yeah, people come to Alpha for a lot of reasons. As Sarah said, it really tied her heart into the church. So sometimes people who are new to the body here, they do Alpha, and it ties their hearts in. As you heard in the testimony, Salkham 1 will do the same thing. But sometimes it's just I'm stagnant in my Christian life. And Alpha really gives you the core truths for spiritual growth in life. And so it could be the thing that will refresh you in life. And um, so, in any rate here's the joke I told. There was a woman who was doing yard work, and she had a weed whacker, and she was going through her yard, you know, uh, trimming the weeds, and she didn't notice it, but her cat was hiding in the bushes. And as she approached this one bush, the cat jumped out, and she accidentally hit it with the weed whacker, and she cut its tail off. Now... She loved her cat, so she scooped her cat up with one arm and she reached down and picked up the tail with another. And she just took off running down the street as fast as she could go. And just about that time, a friend of hers was driving down the street and she slowed down to the same pace and rolled her window down and said, Where are you running so fast? And, and she said, I'm running to Walmart. And she said, Why are you going to Walmart? And she held up the cat and the severed appendage and said, I've heard that they are the world's largest retailer. Oh, come on, come on, that's a good joke. Yeah. For some of you, you're just, no, you're just, you're just not with it. You just can't get these, these intelligent jokes. All right, let's get right into it, okay? Jesus wants you to be free. God wants you to experience freedom in life. He doesn't want you to live life intimidated or fearful or hesitant all the time, questioning yourself. He wants you to live life with confidence and boldness and his power. That's what he created you for. That's why you're here. Now, Satan, on the other hand, is the one who wants to to break your will to walk in freedom, and He wants to keep you from walking in the freedom that Jesus provides for you. In fact, Jesus identified that very clearly when He said, "The devil, uh, Satan, the thief, um, he he comes just to steal, kill, and destroy. So He wants to steal truth from you. He wants to He wants to uh, kill you. He wants to kill your hopes and your dreams and your very life if He could, and." He wants to destroy everything about you and everything around you. That's Satan's intent. He is the oppressor. Jesus, however, said, I came to set free the oppressed. He said, I came to release the prisoner. And so his intent is that we would walk in freedom. in Acts 10, uh, it says, describing Jesus' ministry, the Apostle Peter said that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were afflicted or oppressed by the devil. So you look at the ministry of Jesus, everything he did was about destroying the work of the devil. It was, in fact, the Bible says Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil in 1 John. So whether he was comforting a grieving mother, whether he was teaching truth, to to a multitude of people where it says they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he taught them spiritual truth. Whether he was healing the sick or feeding people, what he was doing was pushing back on the darkness. What he was doing was destroying the work of the enemy because he wants us to be free. And today, next week, and the following week, that's what we're going to be talking about is freedom through Christ and how we can gain freedom, how we can be delivered from the oppression of God's enemy, how we can be delivered from the oppression of fear in our lives. And, and so what we're going to do this week, uh, my message is going to be introductory, and then next week, Wilson's going to give a message specifically focused on fear and how the enemy uses fear in our lives. And then we're going to have a conference, and that's going to be September, uh, night, September 21st to 23rd. It's a Thursday, Friday nights at 6.30, and then Saturday at 10 o'clock. This conference we're calling a Freedom Conference, and the speaker is a man named Bill Vanderbush. Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of a, an author named Ted Decker. He's a Christian author, but uh, Bill, in, in one of Ted's recent books, Bill writes uh, one whole section of it, so they co-authored a book together. Uh, we met him through Georgian Banoff, who was here at our church last spring, and um, when we heard him at, at the Banoff conference, I just thought, I like this guy, he fits, we need to have him here, and so we arranged for this conference at that time. But just to give you some other orientation for those of you who might know these names, if you don't, that's okay, but uh, there's a guy named Todd White who is a pretty well-known Christian speaker, and uh, Bill is doing a conference where he and Todd are the two main speakers at the conference this coming week. So it gives you some some idea of what to expect with Bill. But it's going to be a powerful time. There are going to be people that are going to be set free from things. There are going to be people that have been struggling with anxiety for years, and they thought, "Is I got this from my mother, or it's just part of my genetic code, just part of my makeup?" And you're going to get get set free from anxiety. Some are going to get set free from financial troubles and woes. And you know how, like, it seems like some people just have one thing after another, after another, after another. And and there's going to be freedom from that. And so this conference is going to be a really powerful, powerful time where. Everything's going to culminate there, and then the final week, we have a Sunday after that that Bill's not going to be the speaker, but we're going to kind of like tie up all the loose ends in that final message, all the questions that have been asked, and so this is going to be a powerful month, and I, and I hope you just make it a real priority to be here each time, but let's just start right into it, okay? And I want to say this, the spiritual battle is real, All right. It didn't just happen in Jesus' time. It doesn't just happen in primitive uh, countries around the world. It happens here just as much as anywhere else. And for each one of us who have become followers of Christ, our primary battle is spiritual. Our primary battle, our warfare, is with an enemy that wants to distract us and wants to keep us from walking in the freedom that God has for us. In fact, uh, the Bible says that when you get saved... What's happening is you're being taken out of, a, out of a realm of darkness, and you're being placed into a realm of light and love. And so it's, it's as if God reaches behind enemy lines and just plucks you out and brings you into his home. And so when you come to Christ, you're delivered out of that realm of darkness into the kingdom of light. Nevertheless, the realm of darkness still impacts us, and, and it still has influence, you might ask, well, how does that happen? Well, Ephesians 6.12 um, helps us to understand this. Ephesians 6.12 says this. It says, our struggle, we all struggle, don't we? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this dark age, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly world realms. So first of all, notice our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That means a few things. One thing it means is this. My problem is not primarily with other people. You know, a lot of us would think, well, if, if, I, if, my, you know, if my husband just paid attention to me, then I would be a happy, productive Christian. Or if my wife was nicer to me. Or if I had a better boss... Or if my kids would just do what was right, then I could be, have peace in my life and, and I could really serve God and, and walk in victory and joy. Listen, other people are not the problem, okay? Other people aren't the problem. The, our wrestle is not with flesh and blood. It, it means as well that we ourselves are not the main problem. It's not that I look at myself and say, well, I'm such a loser. You know, I've failed over and over again. And man, how could anyone expect any more out of me than, than what, what I'm giving? No, I'm, if, if I'm focused that direction, then I'm saying that I'm the main problem, and I'm not. As well, circumstances are not the main problem. You know, we can look at it and say, well, if I just hadn't had that accident when I was two years old and spent that time away from my mother in the hospital, and how that's impacted my my framework of life, or if, if, I, had just, if I had just gotten a better job, or if I had more money coming in. No, the circumstances of light are, are not the issue either. The, the issue is our hearts, whether or not we're trusting God, whether or not we really believe who God is, and we believe what He's done in our lives, and we can trust Him in those two main things, those are the two main areas we come under attack, who God is and what he's done in my life, if I can believe him in that, then all these other things take second place and I can then walk in the power and life of the Holy Spirit and I can walk in victory in spite of the fact that my wife or husband or neighbor or brother or employer doesn't treat me well. And that's where, that's where we need to look because there is a spiritual battle. There are spiritual beings that here are called um, powers, and authorities and rulers and forces of evil that are trying to incite us not to trust God. And so their goal is to keep us from looking at God and really trusting in him and who he is in spite of what I might be facing or going through in life. And, and so this whole thing is that, that Satan wants to exploit our weaknesses in our responses to life and to other people to lead us away from a trust in God. Now, how does he do that? How does that happen? And, uh, and how does he actually influence us? Well, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. He says he's been a liar from the beginning. And in the book of Revelation, at one point, it describes him as the one who deceives the whole world. And so Satan is a liar. And his primary method of attacking us is through lies and false belief systems that he wants us to adopt. Here's how it works. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, here's what we read. Apostle Paul said, uh, and Paul was one of the early followers of Jesus. He wrote a chunk of the New Testament, and he said this. He said, I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve and Adam by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So Paul was afraid, concerned for them, that they would not buy into Satan's deceit and, and to the lies that he foists upon believers. And that's what he did to Adam and Eve. He came into the garden. They, the, the, listen, they haven't even sinned yet. They're still perfect. They live in a perfect environment, and yet he was so crafty that he convinced them that God didn't really care about them. He convinced them that what God told them to do was the opposite of what they should do. I mean, that takes some real guile to be able to do that. And God said, everything's yours except that one tree. Don't eat from that. So Satan goes right to that tree, and he says, you know, God told you that just because he doesn't want you to be like him. And they were already like him. They were already created in his image. But he, So if the first thing he said was, you are not enough. You're inadequate as God made you. And then the second thing was, God doesn't really care about you. He's trying to hold you down. He's trying to keep you from. He's not trying to open up to you freedom. He's trying to keep you in bondage. And so when they believed that lie, they acted on it. And by acting on that lie, what they did was to say, not not just, okay, we're just gonna do this one little thing and disobey God. No, what they were saying was, all right, Satan, we're gonna trust you instead of God. You're gonna be our new source of information. You're gonna be our new source of wisdom. You're gonna be our new director in life. That's what they were saying. And so they stepped away from God, out from under his blessing and authority, And when they acted in disobedience, they placed themselves under the authority of the devil. And what they did by that was to give him, Satan, access to everything they were and everything they had authority over. And that's why we see the world in the shape it is in today, because Satan likes to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy And so this is a spiritual war that is based upon deceit. And again, the primary deceit is, is God good? Secondary deceit is, has he really done in my life what he said he's done? Am I really new? Am I really empowered to follow him and to walk with him? But it works like this. Just think of money, okay? In our culture today, we have all these beliefs about money. Uh, more money is always better. More money will make you happier. More money will provide security. And if you don't have more money, get a credit card. And you can still get the stuff. More stuff is going to make life more meaningful. It's going to bless your life if you just have more and more stuff. All right? God's Word says, no, money is not the center. Money is not the source of happiness or joy. In fact, money is a tool that God puts in our hands. And the more the more trustworthy we are with it, the more he can entrust with us. But part of that trustworthiness is giving. And, and I'm just using this because it's a real clear illustration. I'm not trying to give a message on giving. But, but God says, all right, take 10% of that, what you get, and you set that aside and you give it for me to advance my kingdom. And that's, boy, by doing that, you are showing, you're, you're, you're submitting to me, you're following me, you care about this, you're, you're in it with me. And then Satan says, what? He says, God doesn't know your circumstances or he would never ask you to do that. If God knew your circumstances and what it's like to live in, this common, live in this world today and to raise three kids or four kids and you're working two jobs and you don't have time, how could God ever ask you to do that? That's unreasonable. Might work for other people, but it's not gonna work for you. All right, that's the lie. The truth is, God, I love you, I trust you, I believe in you, you are good, you're not gonna ask me to do something that's not good or not for my welfare, so yeah, I'm gonna figure out a way, I'm gonna start, start laying it out there, I'm gonna start giving, I'm gonna be a generous person just like you, but if I buy into this, just like Adam and Eve, and I say, no, I'm not, I can't give that, I need that, then what happens? Just as with Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, they gave Satan authority in their lives and authority over what they had authority over. And so what I'm doing then is I'm just inviting Satan to be, okay, you're in charge of my finances now, all right? You're the one. You're you're king over my finances. And what does Satan like to do? Kill, steal, and destroy. So it, it all comes down to what we're believing and we are influenced by what by these lies that satan brings into our minds and when we act on the lies what we do is give satan a foothold in our lives. Ephesians 4:26 says this. Says in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. All right, a foothold, if you've ever climbed up the face of a rock, you have to have footholds unless you're extremely strong and you can just go, you know, just hand over hand. But you have to have a foothold to advance yourself. That's a place you put your foot, you can put weight, you get leverage there, and you can move. Now, another way to look at a foothold would be a beachhead. And a beachhead, for instance, in World War II, when we landed on the beaches of Normandy and we held the beach, you know, our goal wasn't just... Yeah, we got the beaches back. Now, now the war's over. No, our goal was get the beaches back and then press inward, press inland, because we're going to defeat the Nazis. And when Satan gets a beachhead in our lives, his goal is to expand that beachhead in our lives and to send out influencing lies into all sorts of different areas in our lives. And, and when I give him a foothold and a beachhead um, in, in my life, I'm really inviting him to tell me more lies because I believed one lie and, and I bought into it. And with anger, it, you know, anger is not necessarily a sin. If um, someone attacks your spouse, you're going to be angry and that anger is going to pump your adrenaline and, and you're going to be able to defend because of that. And, and so anger itself might be a motivating factor, but when anger is held on to, when, when I go to sleep angry, and I wake up the next morning angry. Then I'm buying into a lie. You know what that lie is? That person wronged me, and I, you know, I should. I have the right to be angry at them. I have the right to be bitter with them because they wronged me. And rather than saying, "God, yeah, that person wronged me," God bless them, forgive them, Lord, and because uh, because you're bigger than that. You're you're bigger than that, and so. So I trust God in that situation, and I walk away from anger. But, but but, the lies we believe always lead us to actions, whether it's anger or pride or greed or envy or lust or lying. Uh, anyone, any number of things can open up footholds in our lives when we act on them. And even traumatic events uh, to have your house broken into to... Um, to be attacked physically, you know, to, to face some other physical traumatic event or some other traumatic event in life, what that does is it strips us down to our bare bones belief system and we see, do I really trust God or not? And it opens us up then at that moment to attack from the enemy and attachments from the enemy, footholds from the enemy. And so there is freedom from these things. And well, here's what happens. In 2 Corinthians 4, when there is a foothold in my life, and a foothold then becomes a stronghold. A stronghold is like an advanced position. When we were able to get off the beaches in Normandy and start taking cities, those cities became strongholds. And when there's a foothold in my life, and then if the enemy makes a deeper incursion in some other area of my life, there's a stronghold there that becomes a stronghold of unbelief. So when I operate in unbelief, here's what happens. Second Corinthians 4 tells us what Satan does in areas of unbelief. It says here, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers... So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now he goes on to say we have a message that breaks through that. Because we have a message that can break through that blindness and can open the eyes of unbelievers. But just looking at this principle, where there is unbelief, what Satan does is bring blindness. Where there is unbelief, what Satan does is to cloud the vision, spiritual vision, understanding and insight. He strips it away so that we can't see, we can't understand. And, and so th- this, this means that the enemy does have the ability to impact our minds. And, you know, if, if um, one of the analogies of the Christian life is that of a soldier and another one is of a farmer... I think the best analogy for Satan is he's a fisherman. Any fisherman here? You don't want to admit that. Come on, admit it. All right, so you know what fishing is all about? It's all about deceit. It's all about deceit. What bait will this fish go? What bait the trout in this area go for? And how do I get that bait to just the right spot so he doesn't know it's me or she doesn't know it's me and they bite. And then they think they're they think they getting something good to eat, and then all of a sudden they're captured. And, and so Satan is like a fisherman who is the best fisherman ever. He knows humanity. He knows our weaknesses. And more than likely, a few of his subordinates have studied me personally and you personally, and they know our personal weaknesses. So they know just where to throw the bait, just, just where to place it so that we think, oh, isn't that good? That looks good. I'm going to grab it and and then we have we have fallen into the deceit of un, we've fallen into the deceit of unbelief, and we have given a foothold to the enemy. Now, when that happens, then there's clouding and all sorts of things that can happen in our lives, and there can be different different ways it shows up. I'm just going to read a few of them to you here: um, confusion, uh, self-rejection, irrational fears, self-condemnation, compulsive thoughts compulsive actions, depression, rage, bitterness, always feeling alone, jealousy, unforgiveness, rejection, addictions, feeling like a constant failure, feeling abandoned by God. Now, all of these can be, not, not necessarily, but they can be indications that I've somehow opened up and given the enemy a foothold in my life. And so then he's stirring some of these other things up in me. Now, I'm going to introduce Jason Smith right now to tell you part of his story. Jason's a new pastor on staff here, and uh, uh, Jason's actually working with the family ministries. They have some great stuff going on on Wednesday nights. Uh, If if you're a family with young children, they have child care available, and it's just a great thing. So, um, Jason, come on up and tell us your story. Let's welcome Jason. Yeah.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to be loved by you guys. Um, I'm just going to tell you a bit of my story uh, and how this has played out in my life. Um, I grew up in a small town um, about 30 miles south of St. Louis, uh, idyllic town, safest neighborhood in America probably. I mean, we would have qualified for that. Um, my father, while I was growing up, was a regional manager for a, a bank in Missouri <clears throat> and oversaw several banks and their branch managers um, throughout my entire life. That's, that's what he did. He's retired now. Um, when I was 10 years old, uh, some people, some uh, men came to our house to hold us hostage overnight and robbed the bank. And um, <clears throat> how they did that is uh, it, it had just gotten dark and a woman came to our door. She knocked on the door. And my mom, being who she is, came to the door and she asked for directions. And so my mom opened the door to point out, like, here, here's where you want to go to get there. Go down here, turn left. And when she did that, four men rushed into our home. Attacked my mom, knocked her down. My dad, of course, heard all the commotion, came running. They immediately got him down on the ground, handcuffed him, and secured him so that, you know, out of all of us, he he couldn't fight back. I have a sister who was six at the time. She's four years younger than me. Um, Once they got us secured, they moved my family into our living room and kind of, like, created a bunker. In the living room. They moved all the couches, had my dad sit down, kept him handcuffed all night. Then they took me alone throughout the whole house with a gun in my back to turn off all the lights, close all the shades so that nobody in the neighborhood would suspect anything. Throughout the night, um, the, the, the whole goal of these people was to terrorize us and to put us into a position where. We had no hope and did not want to fight back. All, all through the night, every hour on the hour, these guys would lay out on a coffee table all of their weapons, all of their ammunition. They had hand grenades, machine guns, handguns, knives, uh, and they would lay it out and count everything, every hour. All right, we've got five hand grenades. We've got this many rounds of ammunition. We've got three knives with the whole point of like, just so you guys know, like there's no getting out of this. Um, in the morning, so the plan was, they came on a Sunday night and the plan was to get up early in the morning and take my dad to the bank and rob the bank. And so uh, they woke my, they didn't wake any of us up. They kept us up all night. They got my dad, they took him and said, follow your normal routine take a shower, shave, get dressed. And then they drove him to work with the goal to get there before all the other employees so that as every employee came in, they took control of the situation, got them down on the ground, and uh, they had to wait. There, it was like a three-person security system, so like three people had to be present with keys and combinations to open the safe. So when they got everybody there, they opened the safe, robbed the bank. During that time, they took my mom and my sister and I to the basement and they tied us up. And they told us, like, if you try to escape, we've planted a bomb on the basement door. And if you, if you open the door, you will blow up the entire house, maybe your entire neighborhood. <clears throat> in, the, in the morning, uh, as the sun came up and things started to happen... Some neighborhood kids came to our house every morning and rode to school with us. And they could see in the house and see, like, there's no bomb. There's nothing. We got out, called the police. Police came and got us. We later reunited with my dad. My, that whole time that my dad was removed from his family, they told him, we've killed your wife and your son and your daughter. Don't even worry about them. Just just get to the end of this mission. Um, now... <clears throat> As you could imagine, like this unleashed a reign of terror in our lives, uh, the spirit of fear uh, that took took root in many different ways uh, in different members of my family uh, anger fear self protection like prom- like this, i 'm going to protect myself because I am never, ever, ever going to let this happen again. I mean, you can only imagine that, right? I want to make clear, though, like, control in your life and self-protection is an illusion. Like, that was just a ploy of the enemy as well. Uh, Because a year later, my family, uh, to, to kind of, like, what can we do to get away, get our minds off this? We went to Disney World. And um, this is before the days of ATM cards and, uh, I mean, even, like, the, the use of credit cards. Like, people just didn't do it. And so my dad had gone and gotten traveler's checks to pay for our vacation to Disney World. And while we were at the park, an employee of the hotel broke into our room and stole all of our money. And I I just share that to say, like, You cannot protect yourself. Uh, The only way to protect yourself is this way. What the enemy did not know is that same summer, summer we're in Disney World, a family moved into my neighborhood and with them came Jesus. See, my family didn't know Jesus when this happened. And... The mother of the family and my mom became fast friends and she actually led my mom to Jesus. And they, These were uh, born-again, spirit-filled Christians who loved Jesus and just like lived out what it means to be Jesus to their friends, their neighbors, everybody in their life. Um, the son of the family was the exact same age as me and we became best friends and spent all of our time together. And so early in junior high, I I came to faith in Christ, okay? And so uh, one of the stories that really sticks out to me in the Bible is the story of Joseph. And, you know, Joseph's brothers throw him in a pit, and they sell him into slavery, and then they go tell dad, like, uh, dad, an animal ate our brother, you know? And then Joseph goes to Egypt, and he's put into slavery, and... Uh, soon he's like falsely imprisoned, <laughs> you know, and uh, God releases him from that. And he eventually becomes the prime minister of Egypt through a famine, and his brothers have to come for him for to come to him for help. And his brothers come to him. And they're like, "We are worthless, and we will be your slaves." And he says, "No, no, 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 no. Like what you meant for evil, God meant for good." And he, like, completely restores his brothers. And I think that's a picture of Jesus in our life. Like, the things the enemy means for evil, God can turn those things even to good. I mean, this thing that, like, it's unleashed terror in my family. God meant it for good. We all came to Jesus. And my whole family follows Jesus now. Um. So, the first step to freedom, as we go through this the next few weeks, is Jesus. Complete, absolute surrender to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and the Lord of your life, the King in your life. Like, it's absolutely not—you want to be free? Like, bad stuff happens to us. People do bad stuff. They do evil. They sin, and they can sin against us, and it can— change our lives but by surrendering to jesus we can overcome that see satan doesn't realize like he plans these things he ploys i mean it's like his whole existence has been created to like get us off track and he'll go to any means but jesus wins every time you know the the and something I would just say to you, like, you guys that are following Jesus and you're just living your lives, like, there's a neighborhood kid who needs to know Jesus. Like, you have no idea what the impact will have. Just by being you to in your neighborhood. But the third thing I want to just say is, like, you know, you'll hear people say, well, with God's help. With God's help. And, and I would say, like, no, like, the only God, only God can do it. Only Jesus can do it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, like, not only did I meet Jesus, but the people who introduced me to Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. And so I had a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit in the process as well. Um, and what I mean by that. Is, is a literal encounter filling of the Holy Spirit. Like, I think everybody has access to the Holy Spirit, but I think there comes a point in your life where you say, like, you can have all of me. Yes. And he comes rushing in. And I, I mean, like, if you look at the apostles and the people come to them and go, what should we do to be saved? They don't go, well, with God's help. <laughs> they say, no, repent and believe. And be baptized and confess Jesus is Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And like the whole book of Acts is about people who like one minute they're hiding. And the next they're proclaiming the gospel with boldness to people who want to kill them. And I think the same is possible for us. Okay. Here's the thing. There's a lot more to this story. Uh, you know, how did this affect me as an adult? What, what, how did uh, this foothold of fear take root in my family? Uh, I'm going to share more of that next week. So you've got to come back next week when we talk about the spirit of fear. And I'll illustrate that for you. But uh, more, there is more to the story. Okay. Um, I'm going to transition us now. I'm going to pray for the offering. We're going to take an offering and the band will come back out and we'll enter into worship. As we do that, like I would just encourage you to open. Lord, in what ways has the enemy got a foothold? Because Jesus wins every time. And so Satan's mission is to get a foothold. And Jesus's mission is to like kick his foot out of the door. <laughs> like completely. So... um if you want to make your checkout to Vineyard Northwest, you can do that. Um, you can also give through the app or you can put cash. There's, there's a basket on the left-hand side. Pass that over to the right. And uh, the ushers will come down and take the offering. Let me pray. Father, I, I just thank you. Uh, you're the God who rescues. You're the God who rescues us out of Darkness. And I, I just thank you for that. I thank you for every generous person here. And uh, for, for, I just thank you for everybody because I know your spirit is in them and you are leading them to have a spirit of generosity overtake their lives. And we just pray that uh, Vineyard Northwest will have everything it needs and more to do the work of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
0: that was great thanks Jason come back next week yes Yes. we're going to go into worship now while they are finishing receiving the offering Um, let's all stand you may feel free to come up front uh, as many like to do if you've never done it and you've thought about it do it Um, nothing special about being up front but there's something special something about um, being willing to I'm going to go look stupid for a minute that's fine for some reason God seems to like that (laughs) I don't know um all right, so let's let's do this.